Hey guys, it's Bobby here. Thanks for listening and being subscribed to the podcast. I did want to take a second when we don't put anything up, like today, and give you a sample of a show called The Biz Tape. It's our newest podcast here on the Nashville Podcast Network. It's kind of a media podcast, a music podcast, hosted by two guys named Joe and Colin. They break down the nerdy side of the music industry. So they do a lot of research from the biggest music topics from the charts, music law, and more. They even have on music lawyers and writers. So it's a great podcast if you want to learn more about the music business side or just be smarter than your friends when talking to music. This episode, they talk about how Drake always dominates the charts. And they talk about Universal Music Group's insane first day of public trading. They also talk about how Nashville country labels are partnering with their pop counterparts to make sure that crossover artists happen from country music. So check it out. And also, if you like it, Go subscribe to The Biz Tape wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, here you go. Here's an episode of The Biz Tape. Drake dominates charts. UMG goes public. And is Nashville country pop? You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to episode 51 of the Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin, with my co-host, Joe, and our wonderful guest, Alexander Zawarner, who is a writer over at Ear Milk and also has his own fun little enterprise we'll get into called Beatly Music, beatlymusic.com. Can I do that for you if you get with Beatly Music, like do your little radio ads like beatlymusic.com? <laughs> yeah, if we, if we go to radio, I'll definitely have you up. Up there doing it for me. <laughs> Sweet. Love Colin's it. definitely got the radio voice out of the two of us. Beatlymusic.com. You know what I mean? What, what were those like sites back in the day? They would do that all the time on radio. It would, oh, it was GoDaddy. GoDaddy would do that all the time. GoDaddy.com. Like, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they cleaned up their act <laughs> real yeah, quick. Yeah, they got real weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To associate Alexander with that in any way. Good start. Um, well, we're so glad to have you on. We really appreciate it. Alexander reached out to us and we were very impressed, uh, with what he's got going on. So I was like, come on. And, uh, I mean, first off you have, like, I, I wanted to talk to you about like, what do you kind of do in the music space? What do you, what is your kind of role? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, my two main jobs, uh, right now in the music space, I would say is obviously I have a lot of writing, um, you know, through my life. I've done writing for my own personal blog. Um, and then I also wrote a book on the history of hip hop. You know, growing up, I played a lot of travel basketball. And one of the big things with travel basketball is like you have kids from Atlanta and New York and Texas all come together. And one of the big things that brought us together was music and specifically hip hop music. Um, and so it's always been a massive genre for me um, and led me to write the book, The History of Hip Hop, uh, which I was able to publish on Amazon. And one of the best, th best things I would say about publishing on Amazon is, you know, it's an international company, right? So I had guys from Japan and the UK and a bunch of different countries buying books. Um, it was, it, it came with positives and negatives, you know, it was great to see like how international hip hop is. Um, but I also did get, I got an email from an angry uh, UK buyer that told me he was like, man, there is no UK hip hop in here. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, <laughs> I'm from America. Like, I, I, I can't. Like, I, I don't really know that much about UK hip hop. Uh, but maybe for part two. Maybe for part yeah, two. do right. a grime um, book next time. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I gotta, I gotta appease my customers. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, um, I mean, uh, just so I'm aware, Alexander, uh, how old are you? 
Uh, I'm only 19 right now. Dude, that's crazy. Why do you think 19? I brought him on? Yeah, He's like 19, insane you have at a that. Book like, already? Yeah, like, we're not insane. even. Have, we're not even through even the I most impressive things. I have not gotten to, to book level <laughs> in my career yet. So you're doing something yeah. right. Short for sure. Play, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if we had, if we had a short play, that'd be pretty pretty intense. Oh yeah, I feel 100%. like 100. Yeah, no, but yeah, so that that's crazy. Okay, here we go. Here's another impressive reason. So you're also a writer at Ear Milk. I know that, um, which makes sense a lot because that publication focuses a lot with hip hop and rap and pop. So that makes sense if you have you know such a love for hip hop and wrote a book yeah. about it. I'm sure they've loved to have you. Obviously, yeah. You know, I, I reached out to to Ear Milk. I I knew a couple writers in the Atlanta area that were writing for them, and I was like, hey, like you know, I've been doing a couple essays and, and writings and news posts on my own blog. And I've been uh, also wrote this book and I was like, I'd love to come on, get a like broader experience, talk to some new artists. Um, and they emailed me and said, Hey, like, come on, like, we'll, we'll see what, see how it goes. So that was definitely a great experience. I mean, one of the crazy things for me was like when I was on my own blog and writing for that, uh, you know, I had to reach out to artists uh, to get them to come on and do interviews. But now I'm like having people reach out to me because I'm writing for Earmoke. So that was definitely a crazy switch up um, and has opened my eyes to the massive amounts of genres uh, in the music space. You know, I've originally coming on, I was really just a hip hop writer, um, mm. but I've definitely expanded to alternative, indie, a lot of those types of genres that Earmoke has really found themselves on. Um, so I feel like it's been a great experience just all around. Yeah. Do you think like the blog space, because I know for a long time, uh, like, especially in the early 2010s, that's how a lot of indie acts and a lot of rap acts got their start was through blog uh, interfaces and like just, you know, getting more exposure through that realm. Do you think that's coming back a little bit more? Yeah, you know, um, actually leads up to my my idea for my next uh, for my company. I'm working on Beatly Music. Uh, you know, one of the big things for me, you know, obviously in the modern streaming, like the modern music streaming world there's just so much music put out every single day. You know, there's thousands and thousands of albums and songs and, you know, writing for Earmoke, we have to pick through all those thousands of songs that are put out every single day and find something that we really like. Um, and like many times when I was writing articles for Earmoke, it was taking me longer to find the music than to actually write about the music. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I need to find something that's easier. Um, and I thought, you know, like if I was able to see an album cover for a song or an album or a project, and see what other critics think with, with just a like average critic score on top of that, it would just be so much easier for me to like, went like weed down all the songs to find something I liked. Um, and that basically led me to create Beatly music, which basically brings together, uh, the best of like IMDB and Ron tomatoes to music. So we average critic ratings from a bunch of reputable sources like Anthony Fantano complex, um, or not, not complex pitchfork. Uh, a lot of those, sort of critic reviewers and then we average them together to get one critic rating and then you can go on the website and see the average critic ratings for all the best albums donda clb anything you want wow that's crazy i mean that's a very unique idea that i haven't heard in the music space before so that i think you're definitely definitely on to something for sure because i i feel like you know a lot of music reviewers the people people go to are like the people you named complex pitchfork anthony fantano you know yeah, up yeah. against the two mega <laughs> megaliths but um yeah it's it's definitely interesting because i think it's almost like 
there's so much combination with the entertainment industry now with mm-hmm. kind of uh, like UI interfaces like that and bringing yeah. the things that worked with maybe traditional media into more of uh, just audio-based media as well. So that's super interesting, man. That is, that's something that I'm definitely going to hit up a lot of the time. And I will say, when I was a, a music programmer, I would have mm-hmm. fucking loved to use that thing <laughs> for my automation when I was uploading shit to automation. Cause like I, yeah. I'm with you, man. Like we used to get, I, I mean, your emails probably like this too. I would get on a day on an average day. I think I got, uh, like 500 emails. Yeah. Like, and I, just I people. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how do I, how do I sift through this crap? I don't know. Right. Like who's good. Who isn't. So you kind of just have your few reputable people that you're like, oh, I know they're going to give me good stuff, you know, but this is kind of making it more for like general public can tell you what they want, which I think Mm -hmm. is, is very unique. So dope. It's also aggregated, which I think is great because, you know, everybody, every reviewer has their own personal flavor. So like, it's great to have a resource where you can look at all these different things combined, you know, and kind of get more of a general consensus. Do they, do they comment? Like, do they kind of leave their own like review space kind of like Rotten Tomatoes where it's like you have a chain of, of like reviews and stuff like that? Yeah. So if you go onto the website and you click say the Donda, uh, album you'll see uh an excerpt from each critic reviewer just with a general idea about the uh the review and then the critic score they gave um and then you can also go on as a user and give your own user score um which you'll see right next to the critic scores um so you know like obviously the critic scores are important you know critics definitely have a you know i would say have a very good sense of like what music does well what music doesn't do well um but the users and the fans are also equally as important in my view. Um, and so I'm trying to create the the platform that highlights critic reviewers, but also equally highlights the fan reviewers as well. First thing I want to talk about, which you would be qualified for, especially since you already raffled off saying it, is we're going to talk about CLB, which for the uninformed certified lover boy, um, <laughs> which is so funny to me to say. Um, it sounds like a yacht rock band. Like that's what it I does. imagine. Well, Drake is kind of a yacht rock band <laughs> if you really think about okay, it. <laughs> so this man, and I'm sure Alexander knows, just destroyed all the charts and everything. Like we had Don to come up first, and we're like, wow. And then Drake came yeah. up, and we're like, what is going on? So Certified Lover Boy launched at number one on the Billboard 200 with six. 113,000 equivalent album units, according to MRC data, making the biggest weekly sum for an album in over a year. And he becomes the eighth artist with 10 or more number ones in chart history. So here's the other thing. Drake has, which is what I want to talk about. And I kind of have a fun little game for us is Drake has insane, like billboard and chart, uh, like records Mm -hmm. that are so big. So, for instance, in the 63 years of the Hot 100, this is only a second time that an artist has controlled 21 spots of the top 40, including all the top 10. And the only other time was also Drake with <laughs> with Scorpio. It's the Spider-Man meme where he points at himself. Yeah, where he's like, <laughs> who's hitting me off the chart? My own album. Um, so... 
Yeah, man, it's insane. He also uh, has drastically extended his lead of the most top 40 hits with 143. Oh, my God. Yeah. He also has appeared on the top 100 258 times. (laughs) Two and a half. He just lives there, man. Dude, it's insane. (laughs) So they were labeling off. And we can get into a Drake discussion after this, but I wanted to do this little game thing for you is they were labeling off kind of who has the most top 100 appearances after Drake. Drake has 258. So the first I thought we could guess what these are. I blacked them out kind of shittily in the Google Doc. Yeah, but we'll just do it. Um, so the first I was like, don't look, don't, don't look, don't look. I should have made I should have made, made both black instead of just like one kind of whiter. Um, so first off, uh, who's directly behind Drake? Joe, do you have a guess of the most appearances on the top 100 behind Drake? Drake's at 258. Okay. I can give you hints and Alexander, feel free to butt in. I know it's weird with zoom. I'm going to go left field. I'm going to say Taylor Swift, but I don't think that's correct. Okay. Taylor Swift. Alexander, do you have a guess? Um, I would have to go with maybe someone older, maybe like Michael Jackson or something like that. Okay, that's a good guess, too. I'm going to preface now that you two will not get this, but it makes sense after I reveal what it is. So the second highest is the Glee cast with 207. No fucking way. Top (laughs) 100. Get out of here. It makes sense, though. I always joke with my spouse is I'm very glad that we're out of the time period where like acapella was like the rage and everything. And that was about. Yeah, yeah, that was like late 2000s, early 2010s. Sorry, acapella fans. Um, But (laughs) some pitch perfect. Yeah, right. They will make a comeback. They got 207 and that's just, you know, that's close. Like, and, but sadly, unless the Glee reunion happens, I don't know if they're going to beat that ever. Um, but it makes sense. I mean, it was a huge deal, huge show. And that was kind of the thing They kind of kids bopped a bunch of songs too, to make them, you know, family friendly. Mm -hmm. So I'm surprised kids bop isn't up there. It's not up there. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. They're not up there. Highest selling in Europe. I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, I believe so. They have a huge international presence. Um, Okay, let's go to number three. Number three, I'll give you a hint, is a rapper, but it's an older rapper. And again, this is top 100 appearances. Top 100? Okay, rapper, but older rapper. Yeah, not too old. Don't think like old, old Is it Dr. Dre? Okay, that's your guess. Let's go with that. And then uh, Alexander? Um, I'm going to go with Eminem. Okay, around that time period. Ooh, that's a good yes. It's around that time period, but it's Little Wayne. No, what? Yeah, <laughs> Little Wayne. <laughs> these are throwing curveballs. Okay, balls you at have me. to think about it like this. I know these are crazy. Drake, <laughs> the same reason that Drake has such high, uh, that's different number from how many times he's personally been on the board with his records features. Uh, how many yeah. times has Little Wayne been he on? He did big the Rihanna. Feature? He did the Rihanna thing. He was on <laughs> just, like every other record for a while. You know, now yeah. he just gets really depressed at a Blink One Eighty Two concert. But like, <laughs> which if you've never seen that video, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Alexander is he went on tour with uh, Blink One Eighty Two, and it was the weirdest pairing of bands. And yeah. he basically just like gave up. He was like. <laughs> He, it was really yeah, he, sad. He gave up on stage, yeah. right? He, literally he was just like, like I, I can't, can't do, this. do this. And he was <laughs> like, enjoy Blink-182. And it was just because the tour was so weird and people weren't getting hyped. He was the opener yeah. for Blink-182. Yeah, wow. it was a kind of a weird pairing up. 
Right. Who would you who would you book for that, Alexander? Um I I will let me start with the story and then I'll get into that. Uh, yeah. but I actually I went to uh this concert with Post Malone and Aerosmith. Oh. The difference in crowd was ridiculous. Right. I had like 90-year-old like grandpas and grandmas up there like shaking their canes, like all hype for Aerosmith. And we had like a bunch of like 16-year-old, like 17-year-old kids, like, who's Aerosmith? And I was sitting there like, I, I know Aerosmith. Like <laughs> I was up there for both of them and like up there like going crazy with all the, right. the people that were from the 80s and the but like when Post Malone came out, this grandpa next to me, he was like, this is not real music. And I was like, I think it's pretty solid. Like, <laughs> He's got a Bud Light up there. There's it's a lot music. of people that would claim Aerosmith isn't real music. So. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll leave you with the last two. The last two are usual suspects. These are the people that you would admit. And I'll give you a hint. You said one of them earlier of who would be in the top 100 uh, the most times. Oh, Taylor Swift. Okay, that's one. Who's the other Taylor one? Swift. Um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Kanye. You got them both right. Wow. Um, okay. Do you want to guess the who's ahead of the other? Feud. Do you want to guess who's ahead of the other? I mean Taylor. Taylor's ahead of the other. 100%. I thought maybe. I was like, I thought I could <laughs> fake you out with that. No, no, no. Because the other ones, no one would have guessed. You know. Um, yeah, so know. Taylor has 136, and Kanye has 133. So they're neck and neck. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I leave the Drake uh, thing with uh, the number one right now. Uh, right now, from Drake was way too sexy, um, which is a weird song, but whatever. <laughs> I I I don't think it's my favorite on that album, but it marks the 52nd week that Drake has reigned, encompassing cumulative weeks of all nine of his number one hits. So he's been a number one f- for a year in terms of like adding up all the time that he's had a number one record. Wow. And then he's the fourth act to reach the one year mark, which I'm just going to tell you what the other ones were. The, uh, the number one who's been longest. Number one is Mariah Carey with 84 weeks, then Rihanna with 60 and the Beatles with 59. Wow. Which is honestly impressive. (laughs) Yeah. He he beat out Mariah Carey. Wow. No, he hasn't beat out Mariah Carey. He's, he's, uh, yeah, he's fourth. He's behind the Beatles. Which is uh, weird because okay. then Drake can go, I'm bigger than Jesus. I'm bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's going to be coming up in the next album. Yeah, dude. Uh, th- this man is just insane. Like I was saying before. Who knew the guy from Degrassi? That's what I think of. <laughs> like, I, yeah. Dude, yeah. we're like, we're on the, we're on the cut. Well, Alexander, I think is really on the cusp, but we're on the cusp of the people that understand that reference. Because people younger than Alexander are like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, he was Jimmy in the wheelchair. You don't remember that? In yeah, the school yeah. shooting thing? Yeah. But like, I was, I was probably, I was like eight or nine years old watching like Nick, Nick for teen or whatever. Like, right. It was on the way out when you were, yeah, it was on the way out when I, yeah, when I was getting older. So I, I, I caught the reference a little bit, but people my age, you'd ask them what's grassy is. They're like, is that like a, a movie or like they would have no careers arguing about right so, is that grass treatment what, right, what exactly. kind of long yeah. care is like, that let's talk about it like drake is insane with his chart presence and has always yeah. been which is interesting because he had this whole feud with kanye west about like who's gonna have a bigger album and there's speculation if like even parts of that are real you know and so uh, why, do, why do you think he's so successful jerry you got a, an opinion why do you think he i think he's easily digestible yeah. For mass 
audience consumption in a genre that historically was not appealing to white audiences. If, if, to be honest, I think that's kind of you like think Drake's a, almost like a gateway drug for a lot yeah, of people into rap music is. and hip hop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Alexander? I feel like he, I honestly, I feel like he's mastered how to make a pop hit almost, you know, even though sometimes the music may not be like have that much depth. I mean, I don't think anyone out here would say way too sexy is like a very deep song with like heavy lyrics. Um, (laughs) I I think he's mastered the way to appeal to his audience. Uh, You know, obviously a lot of the massive hits right now are coming off of TikTok. And to me, way too sexy is a very much a a TikTok song. Um, And I feel like he definitely plays to his audience and where people are digesting music at the time. Yeah, that's a good point because there has been a lot with uh, people that we've talked to, but also the industry about getting that like really good sub 30 seconds of a song, especially for TikTok, as we've talked multiple times on the show about the power of TikTok. And there's people that, you know, almost I've literally talked to some people that are going like, well, the chorus of the song is good. It's just too long. Can you make it shorter? And literally it's because of TikTok which Mm -hmm, I think is insane. And he does a really good, and you know, with rap and hip hop specifically, it's all based on hooks. So if you got a good hook in there, that's perfect for a TikTok. Yeah. And he's very good at hype cycles. So I was going to say that was my reason. Um, He's very good at like having these periods of time and making like, like his albums together are not like that crazy apart in time, but he creates a hype cycle. That's like if the Beatles were releasing a new album, like, which is insane. And like, it's just like crazy interaction with fans and stuff. And he has that thing, like you're saying, it's digestible where it's like, it's almost like it's cool music. Like it's like, you know, hip music, but like, it's not too hip that you don't understand what's going on or Mm -hmm. like, what he's saying? I think too, like he was really on the, on on the in when hip hop was becoming the standard, like popular genre yeah. too. And I think that helped a lot for his growth as an artist, um, because of that. And then, uh, I mean, obviously the Degrassi thing helped, (laughs) 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 but, uh, yeah, I, I do think it is like just very digestible. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you play like Drake, in front of your family, like even if it's like a conservative family or something, right? They're probably going to be okay with it for the most part. Yeah. Whereas if you contrast that with like a Kendrick Lamar or, or Kanye, or, yeah, or Kanye, where it's a bit more grittier and it's a bit more like yeah. I, I, I kind of want to say real, but like you can you can have your own opinion on that, right? Uh, where it's like it's a bit more harsh, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. for for the listener. The the there is a stark like contrast in that. Um, and he knows, he knows how to just be consistent too. I think that's another huge thing yeah, 100%. where I expect a Drake record record every year at this point, you know, he and comes out with one like the new iPhones. Right. Yeah, exactly. And he's got features. <laughs> every new iPhone comes with a Drake record. Yeah. <laughs> Who is it? Is it J Cole? That was like, I got the features. Somebody was like that for a while. Um, but like, that's what Drake does very well too. He's got a, big number of features on there as well from big artists like he has features on his record on his record and also the opposite fair point is that he has big features on other people's songs Mm -hmm. not as much anymore it seems like he has the ability to you know demand like oh you want to come onto my record i don't have to go onto yours sometimes yeah but it seems it was crazy to me i mean it was crazy to see that like 
Kanye had this massive album rollout. You know, he had one, two, three listening parties with massive attendance on Apple Music. And Drake was still able to beat him out for numbers in the first week. That's what was so crazy to me. That's how powerful Drake's music is. Mm-hmm. That is point. Like Kanye had to put on the Kanye circus and Drake yeah. just had to, yeah. you know. Drake literally had to get up and just hit the Yeah, he just button. had to say some <laughs> shit, you know, like, and be like, I'm putting out a record and, you know, give some beef with Kanye and be like, I got these people on it and have good marketing team. And that was it. Kanye had to put on three shows and this whole thing. And like, well, I don't think he had to, I think that definitely increased it by a lot. (laughs) Cause it was like, it was smart. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What? what, I mean, Kanye is wild. Drinking going anywhere. (laughs) That's true. I think we're going to be like doing the Tootsie slide in 2040. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite Drake song? Mine, yeah. Um, honestly, I would gonna go with the Tootsie Slide right now because I just oh, like okay. how like goofy that song is. The other thing I want to say before we move on is Drake is fucking creepy as hell with people sometimes. He can and be, yes. I don't know, like, and there's like lines on the wall that I just can't ignore. So I, I don't want anybody to be like, I'm a Drake fan, and like I'm just gonna like let that go. But uh, it's just it's definitely interesting because. That that will be interesting in his future, I think, if he decides to do that. But at the same time, Kanye's done that. He's done fucking things that people find horrific and terrible yeah. and survive. Yeah. But I don't know. If he hits I, it too hard, then... I don't know if grooming was necessarily a thing that I, I heard about Kanye yeah. with. But, Which is way different in the public sphere. I mean, yeah. like that would be way easier to cancel people for, rightfully so. Yeah, but... Making out with a sixteen-year-old girl on stage isn't exactly classy. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> not the best. Not the best time. Yeah, no, not the not best. At all. But besides that, Alexander, what's your favorite Drake song? Um, I would have to go with uh, "Started from the Bottom." That I mean, absolute classic. Um, you know, grow, growing up, that was always the song people played at you know basketball games, at basketball hype matches, like the. Uh, a lot of school stuff. Um, and I think it, it, it's one of those Drake songs that's catchy, but it has like that deep down internal meaning that like is perfect to put on whenever you're going on a run, doing a test, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is Hotline Bling. I think that was Pinnacle Drake was yeah. was the yes it yeah. was the music video Team Drake at the max. It was it was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. It was oh my best God. dance moves. I've ever seen that Let's brought see. dance back in my opinion. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to jump into something a little bit, uh, heady. And what I mean by heady is like, you're going to get a headache because there's going to be a lot of numbers involved. And I just want to apologize. We'll make digestible. Don't worry. We're trying our best. It's a big deal. It's though. a lot of stuff going on, but it is definitely something you need to know about, which is universal music group goes public for the first time. Oh my God. Yeah, I know it is crazy. It is the highest, uh, valued music business to go public. Uh, Behind in, in general and in, yeah. in ever so with just one day of public trading on the Euronext Amsterdam stock exchange <laughs> UMG shares were up 36.5% which the valuation of UMG is now 54.3 billion dollars which makes sense after analyzing the absolute bedlam that was the first day of trading which was literally all of the uh, music business outlets were just like guys it's happening right <laughs> I remember like, covering we, we, it was like 
it's like tuning into ESPN wow. where they're like, we got 24-7 coverage <laughs> on this stock right now. Here's the charts. I remember Let's covering go. this like when we first started the podcast, people were having rumblings. So now yeah. it's crazy. Well, apparently it's been happening since uh, 2018 because according to Variety, rumblings over the announcement of the IPO began in 2018 and continued with Chinese media giant Tencent's acquisition of 20% of the company and billionaire Bill Ackerman's acquisition of 10%. So they basically, it was owned collectively by Vivendi, which if anybody knows, it's like one of the biggest like multimedia, multimedia conglomerates yeah, uh, yeah. of all time. And, uh, and so they decided, um, or they didn't really decide, I think like a lot of laws and trading laws were put into place here mm-hmm. uh, where they can't necessarily buy stock going public if it's owned under them. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure is kind of the reasoning. Uh, I was trying to look more into it. There might be a little bit more nuance to it that I just couldn't find. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, over the past couple of years, they've been selling it off bit by bit by bit, and they sold off 90% of it. So Vivendi, for, like back in 2017, had 100%, and now it only has 10%. Yeah. Which is crazy. But... The reason they did that is because they wanted uh, what's called pure play opportunity, which means they have a chance of getting higher market share in the music scene uh, with the U.S. trade amount, which was like basically the U.S. trade amount for last year was $12.2 billion, which accounted for more than half of $21.6 billion in global revenue reported by the International Federation of the Phonographic Industry. Now, pornographic, phonographic, (laughs) audio, phonographic, get your mind. So let me walk this. So you're saying that Universal had $12.2 billion of trade in the United States out of $21.6 billion in global revenue? So no, it's just U.S. trade amount in general. But because that number is so high and it's 50%, that's kind of the business reasoning behind them selling it off and then buying more shares into it because they know that like it's going to propel forward. Okay. If that, if that makes yeah, sense. Because it, because and, if they kept it all together, then like they would be more locked down. They'd probably be more likely to have like, you know, maybe monopoly kind of stuff of the business exactly. expanded, mm-hmm. all and that kind of they stuff. They wouldn't be able to really shift around as much. Okay. So. And what is the biggest moneymaker for the company, do you think? Um, So there's a lot of big moneymakers. It's actually the, let me pull it up here. It is the world's largest label group and second largest music publisher, uh, which Mm -hmm. honestly, the past couple of years, the music publishing has really rose a lot, uh, especially like here where we are in Nashville. It's the publishing capital of the world. Yeah. Um, And so a lot of their dominating resources are being funneled into publishing. Uh, at least a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that I've heard from people and like I've seen, it's that a lot of the publishing money is kind of a huge focus for them, uh, especially since they just invested that $30 million uh, buy of oh, you Bob mean Dylan's catalog. Million? $300 million? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Zero there. Sorry. No, <laughs> sorry, Mr. Good. Dylan. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of all over the place. I think they still make a lot of money on mechanical when it comes to streaming. Um, that's their biggest money maker for sure. But they also do get a lot of publishing royalties. Well, and that, stuff like and that the licensing for, sure. for the publishing, especially like their what, sync, 
licensing, their distribution. I mean, when you're that big of a company, you're getting so much money from different channels that it's hard to compare to a lot of other, I guess, smaller indies or something like that. So it is, it is kind of insane, but yeah, I would say final answer, locking it in here. I think streaming is probably their highest revenue, but, uh, that's something else that I wanted to get into is kind of, um, why does this matter? Um, because how does this affect the music industry? Well, essentially it's showing that the growing value of music is having an impact on companies such as streaming platforms, labels, publishers, film studios, and more as well as health of the overall industry, except asterisks artists because you know fuck them yeah (laughs) that's kind of how the music business operates as we've seen um there's actually a lot of grumblings over the um ceo um of umg is getting like a 150 million dollar bonus and each year he gets so he gets 150 million dollars this year then next year i think it's 200 million nice. and then next year it's 300 million which uh there's a really great article that will link uh that rolling stone did like breaking the whole situation down um but they kind of talked about like isn't this kind of crazy like he may have earned the payout but like isn't this kind of nuts where it's like this this business is making billions of dollars but 99% of artists on Spotify aren't getting paid um, a living yeah. wage right you know isn't that kind of yeah. a disparity that we need to co- like come to terms with um so yeah that's something that that is very interesting and i want to ask you guys um do you think do you think that this is like just kind of like a one-off thing or do you think music value is actually increasing now because of this? That's an interesting question. Um, so we saw previously, well, Sony is obviously under the giant corporation of Sony. So like they're technically part of that company in that way. And so there's, you know, if that's doing well, the stock will do better, but still they could have, you know, if they wanted to, they could split off that side and make that public. But the other big uh, one of the big three WMG had recently just gone public as well. I think in the last two years. Yeah. And actually just to cut in because of this, uh, this launch of UMG WMG's, uh, position in their stock, uh, their estimated, uh, growth was grown by like a a billion dollars. Wow. Just from, just from that. I think, uh, you're seeing more of the, like you're saying, kind of divesting of some people of bigger conglomerates from these companies to try to umbrella them and make them bigger in terms of having more investors and all that kind of stuff. And I am kind of excited from that, from, you know, a lot of record labels and all this kind of stuff. I mean, let's be honest, they're very clicky. They're very, you know, small insider trying to get into a room kind of stuff. So if you have more accountability from, you know, public stockholders, then I'm fine with that. I would, I'm, I actually kind of applaud it because, you know, let's say, obviously these are multi-million dollar companies buying it, but it actually gives the opportunity as opposed to, you know, you owning just Vivendi stock of being like, yeah. oh, okay, 
Well, like, what, what, who's that guy? Uh, Bill Ackerman, who owns 10% of it. Like, if he came in and was like, I need, I think you guys should up it because I own 10% of, like, the payouts for artists because, like, UMG's getting shit on with the public and it's making our stock look bad yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That kind of helps more having all those outside perspectives. But at the end of the day, it's like, you got to be billionaire Bill Ackerman, you know, to really have, like... <laughs> this giant change or you have to be Tencent giant Chinese media giant or something like that. So it's kind of like what you're saying is like, it definitely shows, I think an increase of how music is being monetized. We've seen that from a lot of different places, especially like the crackdown on Twitch and YouTube, uh, you know, trying to crack down on unauthorized song use or TikTok signing giant licensing deals for the music. Mm-hmm. So I think we're seeing, you know, these companies kind of wrestle back from the 2000s where, you know, music was free. Everything's free. Who cares? And so now they're like finally getting these companies to be like, you have to pay us. But yeah. I think that's why it's expanding, like music in general. is because they're finally going, okay we've been on this streak of like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like our artist gets bigger. So we get more money in streams, but you get to do the songs for free. Now they're like, nah, we know this is an incentive of your platform. So you have to give us some money. Now, yeah. whatever money comes down, the artist is very low. <laughs> True. So Alexander, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I totally have to agree with what you're saying. You know, like obviously technology has been a big thing in decreasing the revenue of a lot of artists. You know, right when technology came out with Napster, the artists were getting paid nothing and their music was getting streamed millions and millions of times. Um, and as we developed the technology and a lot of the music technology space has increased in importance, we've seen an uh, increase in the revenue of a lot of these artists. You know, obviously, like you said, with, with the TikTok licensing and Spotify, um, you know, artists have slowly started to get their revenue to increase, increase, increase. Um, and personally, I'm really interested in a lot of the, uh, the NFT type space for music. I think there's going to be a lot of great innovation in the music technology space that's going to continue to increase um, a lot of the artist's revenue back to the days of the 1950s and 1960s where these artists were making tons of money off vinyl and stuff like that. Off recorded music. Yeah, yeah off recorded music, yes. I think, I think recorded music will continue to gain importance with stuff like NFTs and... Um, increases in Spotify revenue. That's right. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, just the new technology for that is crazy. I mean, Joe, did you want to say anything on it before? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I agree. I, I, that's a direction I definitely kind of want uh, more. I, I do kind of want the industry to kind of go back into. Um, is the emphasis on recorded music revenue being yeah. an important source of money for artists? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I, I do think in like looking back historically again, like, uh, the, the way that record labels have kind of almost where there's, there is an innate value, right. That we have of recorded music now. Mm -hmm. And it is obvious with this, that record labels are making money from streaming. Right. Yeah. But where is it going? That's kind of my thing. I mean, clearly upward. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not going to the artist. Like we, we, you know, are seeing that clearly. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I do hope that NFTs kind of create that space where it's like, you get an exclusive album, you get, you know, whatever thing that adds the value back into kind of more of like a physical format kind of deal, or, or I guess more just like 
the ownership over something, right? right. Where you're like, you feel like you're yeah. supporting an artist. Um, but what I worry is uh, how oversaturated NFTs are getting um, and sure. especially how they're going to react to big, big businesses coming in. Or a 360 because, yeah. of like taking revenue from, I mean, what would stop a record label from doing what they do with merchandise and, you know, other more so physical. doing it. Yeah. Just adding another clause. Into yeah. The they're agreement. going, okay, well I get this yeah. percentage, you know, which I guarantee you is already a thing. I bet you it's already yeah. a, a thing in 360 deals and, and everything is they got an NFT clause. Well, they have a lot smack of, dab in they there, have baby. A lot in record yeah. con- contracts about like, it says like, and or future technology of like it, which is where mm-hmm. it comes from. So I, that's what they're trying to do is expand that and then be like, well, it's technically under here. So now we can clarify it in your contract. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then yeah, it, that's what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. Cause I've talked to a lot of artists. Um, I'm like, you know, how are, how are you increasing revenue? And they're like, Oh, I'm looking into NFTs. I'm looking into uh, live streaming on Twitch. I'm looking into creating TikToks. Um, and you know, I've talked to them like, all right, so like, are you going to be getting all this revenue? Like, obviously these are new sort of paths and all of them been like, yeah, like the record labels have been cracking down on, on NFTs for a lot of artists because, you know, there's seen, there's been so many news articles about artists making a million, $2 million just off of uh, releasing an NFT of an album, which is crazy. Yeah. And it's because it's the new thing right now, right? Yeah. Where it's like, it obviously like maybe three years from now, it's not going to be the case. Like you're not going to get a, a million dollars probably unless you have like some hype. You have some like yeah. crazy ass, you get ABBA to do another record, you know, and they just release yeah, it on yeah, there. Yeah. But uh, it it is just kind of one of those things that I worry about uh, giving more ammunition to labels because labels have had a huge issue of cannibalizing the industry and, mm-hmm. and have uh, really taken a lot of the power away from the artist. Mm-hmm. So that's something that a lot of artists are very worrisome over now. Um, sure. And with, you know, TikTok, with all this other new medium stuff, do you guys think that labels are even, we need them? At this point, I think for the distribution and marketing, it's still very important for a lot of things. Well, see, here's my thing is like, I feel like the lines between publisher and label are, are getting blurred or super blurred. day by day yeah. because yeah, I've, sure. I've talked to publishers that do things that label heads would have been doing 20 yeah. years ago, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, you know, you look at some of the big artists right now, Drake, Kanye, Lil Nas X you know, it feels like they're so like worn thin, you know, Lil Nas X is doing TikToks and Twitters and Instagram. Uh, he's on Facebook, you know, and he's also doing all this marketing stuff. Like a lot, a lot of these artists have to put their hand in so many pots. Now I think record labels are almost essential for those type of artists. The ones that are like all over the place to even be able to like focus on your music. Because yeah. it's just Lil Nas X is in so many different avenues that, it, it would be almost impossible for him to do it himself, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you would get spread very thin. But also, do you think that's the management's take at that point? That's true. That's true. I feel like you need a very good management. You know, obviously, a lot of artists have come out and been like, my management is so bad. So I, I feel like it's very important to find that manager that's really going to be that type of person to make sure to keep track of everything. Because there's just so much right now for the modern artist. Yeah. I, I mean, we know somebody with two managers, <laughs> two managers. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess a day to day, 
at that point. But yeah, day to day and big picture. Big picture. It's literally the office thing. It's like I handle day to day. He handles big. Day to day is literally like actually doing the management stuff, and then the the manager yeah. is doing big picture. I guess. Well, like, most of the time it's we're like, gonna make you money. Most kid. of the time it's like the day to day manager who started out then becomes the big picture manager, and then they hire the day to day person mm-hmm. like to do that because they're tired of it. <laughs> Colin, what else are we getting into? Okay, uh, I want to talk about this because it's really big, and I kind of pulled uh, our uh, Instagram about it, but I'll get to that in a second. So Nashville, specifically where we are, and labels in it are turning to pop partners as streaming changes the game. And this is an article by Billboard, and specifically they're talking about country music, which I think is a really interesting question because people have been asking you know, for years, like, what's the difference between country music and pop music? as we get more infused and fused and fused. Um, so we're seeing a lot of examples with this. Like for instance, all the big three labels are basically doing it. So we're seeing Sony music, Nashville partnering with RCA to promote some of their country roster, including, uh, to towns and Kane Brown, who have released songs with several acts on RCA's pop roster, including, uh, Khalid and, uh, and her. And so billboard points out that these partnerships are so common now that they used to do like a one-off, you know, I kind of reference like Nelly back in the day doing like a country song. Well, they're so popular now they have to have these long, you know, agreements between them because they're like, oh, this is just going to be a regular occurrence with country people. It's not like a one off thing. And so they have basically a bunch of different definitions for it. And it kind of depends on the deal. And there's no like standardization of it. Some of them are like, we're doing a 50 50 split. Some of them are like you take part of the revenue here. You take part of the revenue here. I'll give you an example. Billboard says the particulars of how to split the revenue differ from each deal from moving around a few percentage points for services provided to joint ventures with an even split. Then there's the issue of market share designation, which sources say can vary wildly, but is usually connected to label ownership of the primary deal. Basically meaning like, you get part of this country and I get part of this country, like actual countries like the United States or Canada. And then also everything is negotiable. So radio share is usually split by genre. So, you know, Kane Brown did really good on the pop stations or in the pop playlist. Then like RCA would get it or Sony would, you know, get the more country stuff, Mm -hmm. but there's just no rules. So it's really interesting to watch like all these deals, you know, kind of, for the first time really be long-term deals instead of one-offs. And the idea is to have both of these labels like doing their best on both different sides. So you have, you know, RCA being like, we're handling the pop side of this. And then Sony's like, well, we're in Nashville. We know country music. And so it also works the other way, which is interesting because there's acts that try to come into the country realm. But I want to put an asterisk on that because the people who are coming into the country realm are basically people that kind of should be in country anyway. Like, mm-hmm. uh, where we've seen, I, I remember it was a uh, kid G, which they mentioned who is a country hip hop rapper. Right. So it's like, he's kind of already kid, already kid G kid G K I D G. Um, which, uh, what uh, was, listen. yeah, right. <laughs> so like, they're, they had a story about Big Machine apparently was trying to get him for, to sign because he had such big TikTok presence and stuff. And he went with instead, like, uh, I think it was uh, Rebel Music and Geffen Records. And so Big Machine came back and was like, let's promote you on the countryside and then we'll let Geffen handle the pop side. 
but those are rare, but you're seeing this literally everywhere. Like we've seen it with Morgan Wallen and Blanco Brown and L King, and they all have different deals. And people have brought up that this isn't technically the first time, but the uh, popularity of them has increased a lot. They basically said like, this is what Taylor Swift did when she was on big machine. And then Republic came in and was like, we'll help you get more pop stuff, which makes sense because if you're a country artist, in my opinion, you want to be a T Swift. You want to be like, I started out country and every, now everybody every, likes me. Every country artist is like, I just love Taylor Swift right. so much. And I they even be- bring an older example of Shania Twain. Cause Shania yeah. Twain used to Shania be Shania and Taylor. But Shania, <laughs> as I talked on the show before, has a weird thing of like, she, which is she kind of had a rock and roll. A little well, bit it was like nineties country used to do this shit that you don't see now where it was like, this is the country version of the song. And this is the pop version of the song, which would be so fucking weird. If Taylor was like, yeah. this is the country version of fearless. And this is the pop version of fearless. <laughs> so yeah, it's really fucking weird. Um, and it gets to this point where, um, there's like, oh, there's just no rules to this. It's like there's no consequences from also. Apparently there is. From a lot of insiders, they say you have to watch out for one market that country still dominates, which is the radio market. Oh, man. Because (laughs) the radio people, and Billboard says it, says uh, country radio has, quote, been notoriously possessive of acts and often accuses artists of trying to cross over to pop of abandoning their base. Oh, yeah. All the time. I mean, the fan base. Yeah, the fan base does that, too. One time I researched, like, something, things that weren't country enough or whatever, right? That, like, people thought weren't country enough. And literally everything I came across in my research was just, like, oh, it doesn't sound like my generation of country, so therefore it is not country. Yeah, Yeah, it is sold out. Which is interesting because we've talked about it on the show how that idea has kind of died, but still very prevalent in country radio, clearly. 100%. Um, It seems like they're 10 years behind every every time. Well, here, I'll give you an example. Apparently, uh, Gabby Barrett wrote a song called, and has a song called I Hope, which is one of the biggest songs of 2020 on country and then just in general stuff. But apparently... Her label, Warner Music Nashville, said they, quote, waited to market the song outside of the country sphere so country radio could claim it had discovered the singer-songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they, you know, so, like, some guy or some girl somewhere, you'd be like, you know, she was a country singer, and then she got famous. I don't know why that's yeah. such a big deal, <laughs> but it is, which is really interesting. Um, so, it's... It's uh, it's crazy for me because man, like I've been so on hip hop country for the past like two years. Oh I think life. ever since I saw the Lil Uzi Vert feature, I think it might have been on a Kid G song, um, and the Lil Nas X Old Town Road. I think in the future, may, maybe if you're listening to this in five years, you'll come back and say I'm right. But I think hip hop country is going to be the next big thing. Like I think one artist is going to come out, figure out the formula how to create a hit hip hop country and he's really going to smash the billboard charts again yeah we'll clip that out well i'll send it to you i you know i i've been at a lot of country events and i can tell you that it is literally just hip-hop with country lines on top of it it's funny that you mentioned that because we were talking about in the beginning of the show how rap and hip-hop has become you know what's pop now in a lot of ways versus you know, what rock and roll music is. So when I was growing up and then even, you know, you can kind of see it shift in Nashville now if from mixing country bands, it's like all these like older country songs 
are just rock songs. Like they were just yeah. like, I was listening to these guitar solos and I was like, they would never do that in a country song. They just like ripped that from example, like we talked about before yeah. Aerosmith. And so now I think we're seeing the same thing where rock was popular back then. That's why they were stealing all that kind of stuff. And then with rap now they're like, okay, we still want to be popular. We want that crossover. So let's go into that. Let's go into rap and hip hop. And it's interesting to see the market try to integrate with that, especially, you know, you get the whole dynamics of, you know, the two different cultures of rap and hip hop versus country, which seem so diametrically opposed that I can't even, you know, so it's, it's weird to see that happen, but it makes sense because at the end of the day, you want a bigger audience. You don't care who they are, which is what one of the people in this article said, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting from that, perspective and i kind of i asked our fans i said like do you i i basically asked them i said are you you know are you happy that country music's going more and more to a pop sound and i got like a pretty like 50 50 i think it ended up being like 60 percent said no they're not happy about it and 40 percent said yeah we like it um mm-hmm. but it's interesting because at the end of the day it's all about crossover you know, I mean, if you wanted to be a bigger star, you want to be the biggest star, you got to go to everybody, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think if you take country out of it because they've always tried to do it and take it with like more niche or genres, it's like less of a thing to like, you know, understand. Like if we talked about EDM music, for example, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a niche, it's a niche or genre, but they're all like, oh, we want a top hit. We want a bunch of people dancing in the clubs to this. We want the, if this was on Billboard, yeah. it'd be great. And then you see them like, just like these people collaborate with pop artists and do all that kind of stuff just with EDM music. But it's interesting to see country kind of hold on and be like, no, we don't want to lose our identity because of pop music. Yeah, I I feel like a lot of that is country radio not wanting to lose their identity. That is a because big deal. I think they know the end is is near. Well, we also <laughs> know it's an older fan base on That's the radio true. side. But with an older fan base, older people get older, right? And so where's your fan base? It's it's definitely strange to watch them kind of battle with it and figure out like what is the comfortable balance and. Uh, you know, I've been making this joke for years. It's just like country music now is like one direction with a catfish line included in it. Cause that's what it is. And like, I don't, you know, all these catfish people, line and like a pro bass. Right. Exactly. Imagine Harry Styles and like Zane up there, you know, being like Harry Styles in his chiseled ab just with a bass. Pro right. <laughs> so like, that's what it is. And to be honest with you, if you're, you know, I, I'm not a big country fan, so I don't really have like a lot of like, shed in the game i'm not like oh this is gonna upset me so much but yeah i think personally if you're of that mindset welcome to americana music because that's where you'll find your real country music that's where it is if you're like of that mindset is that kind of because that's what americana is it's like it's literally like preservation in a lot of ways of a lot of those older Mm -hmm. styles so if you're complaining about that that's where i would point you towards (laughs) Yeah. yeah I think country is like one of the only genres that is so adamant on keeping sort of that old type of music, that old style. I mean, a lot of genres, hip hop, pop, like they've evolved into new things. And generally, at least for hip hop, I would say they're generally okay with advancing 
and getting into these new type of genres. Obviously, like there was a real backlash when autotune came out and hip hop, um, mm. which I think you could say are some similarities to what country is right now. Um, but I think country is one of the most adamant genres on keeping sort of country how it is, I would say. Right. B- continuing the regression as opposed to like the progression of it, like, and yeah, being like, exactly. let's try this new thing. Yeah. But we'll have to see. I mean, I, what, again, I'll clip you out of that, Alexander. I'll clip you that. And then if we're right in five years, so in 2026 and like everybody's yeah, yeah. hitting it up, we'll be like, Alexander <laughs> got this shit in episode 52. Like go to this man. Well, I guess it's time to get to our final final uh final thing here i you made that sound like we were on the bachelor and we're like time to give your final <laughs> time rose. to give your rose like, <laughs> yeah um we uh if you guys can't tell we me and colin are a huge fan of trash tv we we love not the some bachelor. Trash. i want to put that on the record <laughs> okay i haven't watched the bachelor yet it's lame watch love island it's all lame colin anyway, that's why we love it so this is the worst segue ever we listen to trash music too um so let's talk about uh what music we've been listening to would you like to go first Jeff? yeah i guess so yeah um i've been listening to the new hatchy single this and enchanted or disenchanted is basically how it's supposed to sound, but it's okay. disenchanted. Um, and then I've been listening to a band called Hill Laker. Um, and they're kind of like pop punk, but like it's like pop punk with like Pine Grove, like had a baby. <laughs> and the baby was like a 13 year old. He was going through teen angst. That's kind of what, yeah. it, what it's like. So it's re- if you like that shit, it's pretty cool. So that's sweet. Alex, how about you? Alexander, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you're no Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I I'll give you two, two main ones. I'll give you a mainstream answer and an underground answer. Um, you know, I think mainstream wise, I've been listening to Lil Nas X's new album, Thank which I was very surprised by, uh, actually listening to his last EP, you know, it was a little spotty for me. I, I wouldn't give it a great score if I was on Beatly music. Um, but you know, with Lil Nas X's new album, I think it was, a really good progression for him. You had rock, you had pop, you had hip hop, you had a bunch of different genres, a bunch of different influences. I really liked what he did with the album. Um, and I, for my underground answer, I'm gonna have to put y'all on to this new artist called Binky, B-I-N-K-I. Oh, I love Binky. You do? You listen to him? Artist. I made Colin listen to Binky so much yeah, in did. the car. I think he did. I, it's like a yeah. big memory. Uh, so good, dude. He's so good. I, I, it was so funny. So a guy reached out to me at PR. He was like, I got this really good artist. I know you'll love him. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to him. Took one listen to like the new EP that was coming out. And I was like, wow, like this is really good. It has that like alternative like rock, but it has a little hip hop influences into it's I really love his music. I, I can't wait for his uh, new stuff coming up. Yeah, I think he's going to blow up 100 percent. Yeah, I just think too, it's going to happen. So, Colin, what are you listening to? So, I got I got to go with the same well, same half as Alexander. I'll give you the new and old. I also have been listening to Little Nas. Um, really like the album. Was pleasantly surprised how it flows as an album. Like, I love the yeah. theming of it. Uh, you know, him talking about the repression that he's dealt with and all the adversity and stuff was really good. The features were really good. As I joke with Joe, though, that I still say is once you listen to the whole album, it really makes that Jack Harlow feature seem way worse than like the rest, in my opinion. <laughs> 
but uh i just like i've i mean it's hard to compete when you got like a doja cat and like miley and elton john so it's it, i do really like it i think it holds up i saw fantano put on the red shirt so we disagree about that <laughs> uh but uh yeah i thought it was really good um i'm very excited to see what he does next to be honest and uh it's it's amazing to me if you, you have a good album when I like the B sides of stuff, especially if I like the B sides more than the A sides a lot of the time. And so like yeah. there's one in particular where he's like talking about his dad. I can't remember which one it is, um, but like it's really deep and like really talks about like what he's dealt with and like how his identity has evolved, especially being who he is, especially in terms of rap music. It's very touching to listen to. Um, then um, weird one as always. Um, I was listening to, oh, well, there's, there's a plethora of things I could say here, but, uh, what would be weirder? Well, today is the 21st. Yes. I listened to September today, um, (laughs) which if you don't know, um, nine 21, always the best day to listen to September, the 21st of September. And there's a guy who I'm going to, I'll find him. I'll find him right now. There's a guy who does a video about September every year. And I fucking love him. Um, and he basically, uh, yeah, his name is, oh, this is going to be hard. Uh, Demi. And then it's like Demi a, let's just call, yeah, let's him call Demi, Demi a. a. I'm not going to try that, but like you just look up the dates. Like if you literally look up nine, 21, like nine slash 21 slash, and then all the way to the beginning of 2015, you can watch him progress to do these like crazy dances with the music and it's like September edited. So it just says 21st of September, like 20 times, but like, it's hilarious if you watch it because the production value just gets up. Like first it starts in his room and he's got a confetti gun. And then last year it was like him in a modeled truck and then like it's of his room, but you don't know it's a truck and he comes out and there's like a plane going by that says 21st of September and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's great. I think I haven't watched the new one today, but it's an eight minute video. Oh, man. Full <laughs> production to, like, value, one, baby. Dude, he's a great guy. Demi, I, I would look it up. It's so good. But 21st of September. Good thing it was come out the 22nd of September. Yeah, not as fun. Now we got to go to wake me up till September ends. And that's just <laughs> <laughs> worse. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, reaching out and everything. And, uh, you know, check them out from beatlymusic.com and, you know, where you write on ear milk and everything. Anything else you want to shout out for us or anything before we. Um, well, I just like to say thank you so much for having me on. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely go check out ear milk. Go check out Beatly Music. Um, I'm buying your book, man. <laughs> like, I'm going to buy your book. Yeah, buy his book. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been great. Thank you guys so much. Maybe I can put on the title of this acclaimed author. Yeah, we'll do that for sure. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to the Biz Tape, your all things music, business, and media podcast. You can follow us pretty much anywhere TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, I don't know, MySpace, uh, maybe. Anyway, thanks so much. Thanks to our guest, Alexander. Check out Beatly Music and his articles over at Ear Milk and his book on Amazon about the history of hip hop and rap. It's been awesome. We appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Come back again.